Kids, you are dismissed for Children's Church. And how about the rest of us take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 4. You know, you never know what life is going to throw at you. When I was in college, I had a 65 Volkswagen Beetle convertible. And uh, I bought it from my fourth grade teacher. And uh, I knew the car. It was a great car. It had a lot of fun in it. And one early summer day, my buddy and I hopped in it, threw the top down, and decided to ride out to the lake and rent a rowboat and go fishing. So we did, and we made the 35-mile trek through the winding hills of West Virginia to Eastland Lake. It was a lake that was nestled right between the mountains. Corps of Engineers put a dam across a valley, and there you have a lake. So we jump out, and it's such a beautiful day. We're leaving the top down so that it'll be nice and cool when we hop back in, and we get the rowboat. We go out into the middle of Eastland Lake, and neither one of us knew how to row. The boat went kind of like this, you know, and we were having a great time, and all of a sudden, over the mountain, we see just a little touch of dark cloud, and then before we knew it, we're in the thick of it, downpour, wind, lightning in an aluminum boat on the water, not a great place to be, and we say, man, it can't get any worse than this, and then it starts to hail. So we grab our life preservers and put them over our head, and we're getting pelted with hail, and we're rowing our way into shore, and we finally made it into shore. And we thought, you know what, as bad as it's raining, if we don't turn this boat over, it's going to be full of water. So we turn the boat over, and we go into the forest thinking maybe we'd have a better chance than sitting under one tree if we're under dozens of trees for lightning hitting us. And we prayed, and we made it through. And we jump back in the boat and we go back to the car. And I open the door and water pours out. Flooded the entire interior of the car. Fortunately, I found where the hole in the floor was and pulled the chewing gum out of it and it all drained out. (laughs) And then we remembered on the seat of the boat, prior to dumping it, I had laid my car keys. So... We re-rent the boat, (laughs) go back to where we were, no sign of the car keys, call my folks, they come and get us and bring us the extra set of keys, and we drive back home, and fortunately the interior of the car was blow-dried on the way home, and we never expected any of it. Now, we find life very much like that, don't we? You think that everything's smooth sailing, you think it's a wonderful day, and then all of a sudden, the storms of life come up, and you wonder, what just happened? How did I get in the middle of this when things were so beautiful, so great? How did this happen? That's where we find the disciples. And what we find is that God is in the middle of the storm. He's there with us. He knows that we're in that storm. He knows what it takes to deliver us, even if it means bringing us home to be with him. God is the God who is in the midst of the storm, and God is the one who will see us through. Now, what we're going to see as we come to this part of the passage in the end of chapter 4 and then through part of chapter 5, we're going to see some stories that Mark shares with us. And there's so much more 
than just stories. These are actual events. They really took place. And these stories are going to illustrate the power and the strength and the deliverance of the Lord. What we're going to see in the first story about the storm is how God delivered the disciples. And we're going to see his power over the storm. Next, we're going to meet a man who was demon-possessed, hopeless, so hopeless that they chained him outside the town in the graveyard so that they wouldn't have to deal with him. And yet, along comes the Lord, and he has power over spiritual forces and delivers him. And then there's a woman who has an issue of sickness. And this sickness had plagued her for 12 years. She had lost hope. But then along comes the Lord, and she's delivered. She's healed. And we see Christ's power over sickness and death. So we're going to see these stories, and we're going to consider the first of those three stories today, the story of how he had power over the storm. Now, as we come to the 35th verse, we find that the Word of God begins to share with us that problems very often come when we least expect them. And sometimes a predicament that is absolutely beyond our control is upon us more quickly than we can imagine. You know, isn't it illusion just a a flat-out illusion that we would think that we have anything in control. When you really think about it, the most mundane thing can turn into such a disaster. You never know what's going to come your way. And that thing that we take for granted, that we look at, that we say, oh, I've done this a million times, that could be our undoing. And we have absolutely no control over it. Those things can come upon us before we even imagine. And really, that's what we find here with the disciples. Notice verse 35 says this, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go to the other side. Now remember, for many of the disciples, they were fishermen. They had been on Lake Galilee dozens of times. And they were experienced boaters. They knew what it took to cross the lake. And I'm sure that they were holding their finger to the wind, looking around. Yeah, the conditions look right. And besides that, the Lord told us to do it, so certainly we'll have the Lord's protection. Yeah, let's go for it. We're going to cross the lake. Now, Lake Galilee is about eight miles wide. So bear in mind, they're in a small wooden craft, No outboard motor, okay? It's all either rowing or a little sail to propel you across a lake. So they're crossing the lake, and part of the way across the lake, what happens? A squall blows in. Now, if you've never been in a boat in the middle of a lake, in the middle of a squall, which is a bad windstorm, um, it's frightening. You can't imagine how helpless you feel when the elements are churning up the water and when you're in the middle of it. And that's where the disciples were. They were right in the middle. They were in the boat. The waves came up, and then they start lapping over the side. And listen, once waves start to breach the side of the boat, it can go down in a matter of seconds. These disciples were in a terrible place. And yet, consider this. Were they doing what God had asked them to do? Absolutely. Jesus said, let's cross over to the other side. Some people have a mistaken idea that when we are doing what God wants us to do, smooth sailing, everything's going to be wonderful. As a matter of fact, some people even use that as a litmus test. If everything's going well, then I'm in the will of God. Well, guess what? Sometimes God 
asks us to do things that will put us in harm's way for His glory, for His honor. We can't always look at things and say things are going well, so I must be doing well with God. You can't do that. The disciples, perhaps thinking, here is the anointed one, the Messiah. He's told us to cross over to the other side of the lake. We have his protection. And now there's a storm that comes upon them. And where's Jesus? According to the passage of Scripture, Jesus was in the back of the boat asleep. So here are the disciples in the middle of harm's way, waves kicking up, churning up, lapping over the side of the boat, and they're frightened. And let me tell you something. If you've ever been in a boat in a storm, you'd be frightened too. It's a terrible thing. As you know, I like to go fishing with some of the men in the church, and we go up to a lake in northern Minnesota, Lake Vermilion. And one time I went up with Bill Wheeler and Dr. Stuck and Hank Katz and Pete Katz and We were out fishing, and another one of those pristine days, and then a storm blew in. You saw these angry, whippy clouds just come right above the tree line. And before we knew it, we were in the midst of the storm. Bill Wheeler and I were in his boat, and we started to hightail it back as quick as we could. He had that thing wide open, about 115-horse mercury, going as fast as we could. And we were shooting over the waves, and we were airborne (laughs) through most of it. I'm convinced. The only time the prop hit was when it hit the very top of a wave and we were just flying across the water. But Hank and Pete were out in a 14-foot aluminum rowboat with a 15-horse motor. The only thing they could do was pull into an island and wait it out or they would have gone under. We waited back at the cabin for them, scared to death, wondering what happened. It was a scary time. It was a terrible time. And each time you would look out the big picture window, you saw the waves in the lake just going crazy. It was a scary time, and it was a horrible time. But God preserved them and brought them through. And you know, that's what we find in life so much. We find that those unexpected things come into our lives. We never know when they're coming. But when they come, we're kind of at their mercy. We're just waiting to see what happens. And sometimes it's easy to fall into panic. And you know, that's what we find with the disciples. Panic can come. And when panic comes and starts to take hold of us, it's very easy for us to lose perspective on God. For the disciples, their difficulty was a storm. For us, there can be those times of panic like the loss of a job or hearing that diagnosis from the doctor that we feared or finding that we've just run into a financial disaster. There can be all kinds of storms that life throws at us and it can bring us to the place to where we're totally panicked. We're wondering, what do we do? Where's God? How can I find a solution to what I'm going through right now? And that's what the disciples began to feel and to experience. Notice the story. Verse 35 says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. As we go, we we find 
Jesus and the disciples in several boats, they're going across, they get caught in this storm, and this furious squall that comes up, and, and waves breaking over the boat so that they're nearly swamped. And then we find Jesus in verse 38, and it says this, Jesus was in the stern. Now, for you non-nautical types, stern means the back of the boat. So Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion, and the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, when we look at this, we see several things. First of all, we see something about Jesus. We can see his humanity. Jesus had ministered all day long. He had stood in a boat. He had spoken loudly so that the masses that were gathered could hear him. And let me tell you something. When you speak like that passionately and from the heart, it drains you. So Jesus is physically exhausted, and he's in the back of the boat, and he's so tired that even when the storm comes up, he's asleep on the cushions. Now, shift to the disciples for a minute. The disciples are bailing water, rowing, frantically trying to keep their nose above water, literally. And so when they're looking to see where Jesus is, he's asleep in the back. And what we sense from the disciples is panic, but also perhaps a little bit of surprise. How could Jesus be asleep in the back of the boat when we're undergoing a life-threatening situation here. The disciples were probably even a little bit upset that Jesus hadn't helped them in some way or at least said, hey, I'm concerned for you. Now, when I thought about this verse, I thought about how often I've reacted like the disciples. I'm in a situation where I'm feeling panic. And I pray and say, God, take care of this right now. Stop this problem. I want it to go away yesterday. I want this to be done. I I don't want to struggle through this. I don't want to experience the pain and the fear and the frustration that I'm experiencing. Take it away. And it almost seems as though God's asleep. He doesn't answer in the time or in the way that I anticipate. And from a human perspective, I'm not talking theologically, I'm just talking from the perspective of panic. We ask, where are you, God? Don't you care about what's going on in my life? Now, when we look in this story, Jesus absolutely cared for the disciples. And also, when we look in this story, we find that the disciples, because of their frustration and panic, they had forgotten their theology. You see, Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one of God. Jesus had a mission to do, and the disciples knew this full well, and the mission hadn't been completed. So in their moment of panic, they forgot their faith, and they began to question the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you care if we drown? You know what basically they were asking in their question? Don't you love me? Are you so unconcerned about my life that you would sleep while I'm dying? By the way, isn't it ironic that in just a couple of years, there were the disciples 
in Gethsemane as Jesus is facing crucifixion and he asked them to watch and pray. Anybody remember what the disciples did? They slept. So here is Jesus asleep at peace knowing that God has a work for him to do. And here are the disciples. They've totally lost perspective. They've totally forgotten who Jesus is. And they're questioning Jesus' love and concern for them. And you know, we've probably all been in that situation during a storm in life to where we wonder where God is. The disciples had the very presence of God with them. And you know what? So do we. God has a purpose and a plan that is unfolding that we may not understand, that we may think is coming later than it needs to come, but God works according to His time frame, not ours. Now, it's easy to talk about this when we're not in the midst of the storm. I'm not in the middle of that boat. I'm not watching the waves breach over the side. Let's not stand in judgment of the disciples. But I can see so many parallels between the way they respond and the way I respond and the way people I've counseled going through difficulties respond. We have the presence of God with us. And we forget. We lose perspective. We start to wonder, does God really feel concerned about what's going on in my life? And the answer to that question is absolutely yes. But God is not bound to respond the way I want Him to. God responds as God's wisdom directs Him to respond. And that's something that we need to grasp. We need to understand that fully. We need to be careful to not be like the disciples and question His motives, question His care, question His love. Now, as the story continues, we find that God gives protection. And what we find is this. Protection comes through the authority and the power of God. And what we find in this story is the the power of God became very evident during the time of the disciples' greatest need. After they asked Jesus this, notice verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Now, as I read this passage, I thought about the words, he rebuked the wind. How do you rebuke an inanimate object? And then I started to remember, I've rebuked my car on several occasions (laughs) when it didn't start. Or the lawnmower that you have to keep yanking on the cord, I've given it some heavy rebukes. So you can do it, but that's not what's going on here. What's really going on here is the word rebuke means to overcome something with a powerful word. So when it says in this passage that Jesus rebuked the wind, what it's saying is he overcame the storm by the power of his word. What a great insight that is to what's going on. It is the word of God that has power to overcome the storm. As Jesus uttered these words, the storm quieted immediately because of the power of his words. We need to recognize that God can stop any problem, any situation at any time as he chooses. But our responsibility, count on the power of God's word and wait until he speaks it to that situation. 
Wait until God resolves the issue the way God sees fit. We need to wait, and that is the hardest thing that we as human beings do, isn't it? Wait. We live in a society to where if you have a headache, you take a pill, and it goes away. You watch a TV show, and the worst problems that you can imagine are solved in a half hour. And so we're programmed with this idea that everything has a quick solution, and I don't want to wait for it. I want it done, and I want it done yesterday. We become very impatient. What we find in this story, though, is this. God, in spite of the disciples' impatience, spoke in the situation, and he was glorified. Look at what happens in this story. He got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, quiet, be still, and the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Going from churning water to glass at the word of the Lord. The psalmist wrote this. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what God does for us? At some point, that storm ends. God's purposes are fulfilled. And we are in safe haven on the other side. Now, for some people, safe haven is better spelled safe heaven. The ultimate deliverance that God gives is bringing a person home. We look at it from this side as tragedy and we say it's awful that their life was taken. But from heaven's perspective, they have transitioned from suffering and turmoil to no more tears, no more sorrow. The very presence of God is before them. They're delivered. We need to change our perspective. We need to remember the heavenly perspective. And we need to see that God still stills the storm. He's there to take care of us, to provide for us, to deliver us. Maybe not in the way that we anticipate. Maybe in not the way that we have it all worked out in our mind. This is the way that it's going to go down. But he does it according to his wisdom and his will. And here's what we need to remember. If you're going through struggle, and I know the stories of many in our congregation who are, but if you're going through struggle, remember, God is being glorified in your struggle. If there were a better way or an easier way for God to accomplish his purpose and his plan, he would do it. But God in his wisdom has put you in the circumstance that you're in to test you, to try you, to strengthen you, to build in you endurance that you might be an example for Jesus Christ to others. That's what we need to reflect on. That's what we need to remember. So here is Jesus, by the power of his word, calming the storm, and then the storm goes completely calm, and we come to the last part of the passage our perception of Christ will, will determine a response of faith or fear. 
After Jesus calmed the storm, look at verse 40. He, referring to Jesus, said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now again, this side of the story, it's kind of easy to say, yeah, those crazy disciples, how could they show so little faith? We weren't in the situation. And in fact, I'm finding myself getting panicked at much less extreme situations. So I'm not going to cast stones at the disciples because of their fear. But what Jesus asks the disciples is really profound. What is fear? Fear is a response that God has placed into us for protection. For instance, you see a car rushing toward you and fear says, jump out of the way so that you don't get hit. It's something that God has given us to protect us. And it's a natural thing. For the disciples, the fear of seeing the water come over to the side of the boat, that was appropriate and normal for them to fear that and to get the adrenaline pumping and to row harder and to bail harder and and, and to be there in the midst of all of that. However, what we find with fear is this. We can give ourselves over to fear and allow fear to immobilize us. We can allow fear to stop us dead in our tracks so that we don't carry out the will of God. Now that's where fear becomes something that's harmful. Think of the times that God had laid something on your heart and said, you need to go do this, and fear kept you from doing it. What will people think? What if... This friend that I'm thinking about sharing my faith with rejects me for the rest of my life. Fear keeps us from doing things in obedience to God at times. And that's where fear begins to trump faith. And that's where we get into trouble. So when Jesus was saying, why were you so afraid? What he's saying to the disciples is this. Why did you allow fear to capture your thoughts, to capture your mind, to view me as one who was unconcerned about you? You didn't trust me by faith. You began to form opinions about who I am and what I'm about because of fear, and fear led you down the wrong road. Listen. All of us are going to hit fearful times in our lives. All of us are going to hit those moments where we wonder, how am I going to get through this? And and what's going to happen? And and the whole what-if machine in our head kicks into high gear. And we're worried about every eventuality. And you know what I found in life? When I'm thinking about all these scenarios, you know how many of them come to pass? Precious few. Precious few. And fear has immobilized me. It's caused me to question my faith. It's caused me to question God. It's caused me to stop being obedient to Him in a certain area. Fear can be something that is overwhelming. But faith is something that overcomes fear. You know, the very first time I got up to preach, I was in junior high. And I remember it like it was yesterday. Something inside me said, get up and teach a Bible study in front of your youth group. Junior hires, we all know how understanding they can be. 
So I get up to speak, and I remember having the lock position on the podium, white-knuckling it, literally. And I remember my jaw doing this. (laughs) I was scared out of my socks getting up there to speak. But I did it in obedience, and you know what? I've never had fear getting up to speak in front of people since. God delivered me from it in that moment, and from then on, no issue, no problem. Sometimes facing our fears by faith, and I'm not talking irresponsibly, but by faith, we can see the work of God, and we can see God do things in our lives that are amazing. What if I would have said, I don't want to get up and speak? I would have never become a pastor. I would have never had the opportunity to develop my spiritual gift of teaching. I would have been somewhere else doing some other kind of job or ministry. But in facing the fear, God provided opportunity. We need to remember that faith is to trump our fears. We're to trust God. And that's what Jesus was inviting the disciples to do. He was saying, in your fear, in the midst of your dread, turn to me and trust me. God calls us all to respond to him in that way. And then finally, look at verse 41. Where verse 40 has one kind of fear. They were afraid of the storm. Verse 41 says this. They were terrified... And again, the word in the original Greek there is afraid. They were afraid and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. You know what happened in this transition? They no longer feared the storm. They now recognized the power of Jesus' word and they feared him. Not in the sense of dread, but in the sense of recognition. This is a man who has power over the elements, and he's more than man. He is God. Where being asleep in the boat showed his humanity, his word that changed the course of nature showed his deity. And now, rather than focusing on the humanity, they were focusing on his deity. They were counting on the power of Jesus Christ. Their perspective changed. And that's something we need to remember. Don't allow your fears and your worries and your concerns to take your eyes off of who God is. Don't allow the things that you dread to make you forget that you have with you the presence of God and He has a plan that is unfolding and you can trust Him to be your deliverance, your salvation. For many of us, we've already trusted Christ to be our deliverance. The fear of death, the fear of the consequences of sin, perfect love has cast them out. We now trust the God who is, the God who has power to deliver us ultimately into his presence when we face our last moments of life. 
but we can carry that on into daily situations to where we walk by faith and see God work in our lives. You may not be in the middle of a storm right now, or you may be in a horrible storm at this moment. There are different stories for different people who are here this morning. And let me encourage you, keep your eyes focused upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Rest in who God is and allow him to deliver you through the storm. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text. How we thank you for the reminder that it is to us that you are the God who is with us, the God who has the power to redirect and to change by the very power of your word. God, may we not lose faith, but may we stand firm as we are in the storms of life. May we experience the peace that passes all understanding that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And I pray this in his precious name. Amen.